I am looking for sponsors for the Covert Narcissism podcast. I don't know if you've heard some of the other podcasts where you get a discount code for the sponsors that they use. So I want to do that here. So what products are you already using that you want a discount on? I can be an affiliate for you. Or what products do you want to try? I don't want to do this with just random stuff. I want to hear from you. My email address is Renee, R-E-N-E-E, at cnglifecoaching.com. Those letters are C-N-G, as in Covert Narcissism Group. Welcome to the Covert Narcissism Podcast. I'm your host, Renee Swanson. Why do covert narcissists seem so genuine? People who are even, you know, coming from a relationship with a narcissist, uh, somebody who's an overt narcissist, their radar is up. They think, okay, I can identify this. I know what I'm looking for and I know what to avoid. You know, they talk about the red flags and all of this. And yet they end up in a relationship next with a covert narcissist. And like, how? How did I not see this coming? You know, why do they seem so genuine and so real? They seem such the opposite of the overt narcissist. I hear so many victims say things such as, I don't think he intended to harm me. I don't think he knows what he's actually doing. If he could just see it, he would stop. He seems like such a good person. How can I leave when he doesn't even realize that he is hurting me. We're going to talk about that one a lot. You know, I'm, I'm Renee Swanson. I'm the creator of the Covert Narcissism Podcast. I'm the founder of CNG, which is an online support group for victims of covert narcissistic abuse, and it's on Facebook. And the question we're dealing with today is why do covert narcissists seem so real and so genuine when they clearly are not? So covert narcissists often do believe that they are truly compassionate and caring people, and they definitely portray this out in the world. It's like they know what to do to show the compassion and the caring, but something's just not quite right about it. And by the end of my own marriage, I was being brutally honest with my husband. You know, I, I was to the point that I was, I was dug in trying to help him to realize why he was hurting us. And I was so convinced I was one of those that was so convinced that if I could just find the right words, that he could see what was going on and that he would change. I was absolutely convinced of this. And, and one day I tried to explain to him how his lack of compassion was hurting me and hurting our boys. And he went off on me. How can you stand here and tell me that I don't have compassion? And I, I was just taken back by this. You know, I'm a very compassionate person. He, he stormed, you know, he, he aggressively yelled at me and then stormed off. And I thought, well, right there's not too much compassion. And, and I had just come to him and talked in, in, in the most kind and compassionate way that I could find to do so. So another approach that I later tried is I actually said, okay, okay, you are a compassionate person, but you don't talk to me with that compassion. You don't talk to our boys with that compassion. So now I'm trying to give a little. I'm trying to say, okay, okay, fine. Let's get off of that. You're a compassionate person. But it isn't communicated in the way you communicate with us. You don't talk with that compassion to me or to our boys. Your compassion does not come across on the daily things that are going on in our household. Well, then he just shouted at me, just because I don't show compassion doesn't mean that I don't have it. And once again, stormed off. 
And now, like, so later I'm trying to talk to him, and now I'm trying to explain what compassion really is. I mean, if you're not showing your compassion, then do you really have it? Because isn't compassion, by definition, the way you treat others? Like, the way you interact with them? That's, if compassion isn't about your interaction with other people, then what is it? And, and of course, I got nowhere. These conversations just went nowhere. Well, I later realized something. He was more in love with the idea of being compassionate than in actually being compassionate. That's why it seemed so genuine. He was in love with the idea of being that. He wanted that. His desire was there. But the ability was non-existent. To him, it was just an idea, not an actual thing. You know, when he says, if it's just because I don't show compassion doesn't mean I have it. So to him, the, com- the compassion was, was an idea in his head. It had nothing to do with how he treated other people. And I realized that this concept actually applied to a lot of other things in his life. He was more in love with the idea of being a good dad than in actually being a good dad. He wanted to be. He just couldn't do it. Because being a good dad requires investing your time and your energy into your children. It means dropping your guard, dropping your expectations and letting them in and letting them just be themselves. It requires being real with them. Kids aren't stupid. They know how someone makes them feel. They know when they're truly loved and when they're not. Our patron program is our biggest contributor to offset the expenses of this podcast. Thank you so much to everyone who has chosen to donate. It keeps us pushing forward on this mission. I appreciate it more than you know. To become a patron member, if you're not one yet, click the link in the bio. And I am incredibly grateful for your support. And so he was in love with the idea of being a good dad. And he truly thought he was because in his mind, he had the idea right. But he wasn't capable of actually doing it. You know, we we train in Taekwondo in our family. And, and this even applied there. He trained with us for quite a while. We did it as a family. He was more in love with the idea of being a black belt than in actually being one. He loved the idea. He, oh, I want to get my black belt and I, and I want our family to get the black belt. And we all did. And, and, but he would never practice. He would never work at it. He didn't want to come to classes. He didn't want to put in the time and the effort. And he would never have gotten there if it hadn't been for all of us pushing him to get there. And shortly after he got his black belt, he quit. He was in love with the idea of having that black belt, but not in actually being a black belt. That takes effort. I'll give you another example. He was more in love with the idea of helping around the house than in actually doing it. He would tell people that he helped around the house. You know, he, comments would come up and he'd go, yeah, I, I help around the house a lot. And if I spoke up, like in that time, in the presence of other people, he'd really get defensive and reactive. And he would say, hey, I just did the, the laundry just the other day. While that may be true, what this means is he put the clothes in the wash. An hour later, he moved them to the dryer. And there they sat. And they sat there until I got them out, folded them, and put them away. So his idea of running the laundry just didn't have a follow-through. You know, I'll give you another example. Uh, We were having a conversation with a friend of ours, and the friend was saying, yeah, I've been doing yard work all weekend, and and I think I'm mostly done now, but it feels good to have it done. And my husband said, yeah, I got all my yard work done on Saturday. 
you know, and it, it feels good to have all that done. And I'm thinking to myself, you did what? What yard work? You sat inside and played games on, on your Xbox and phone and computer. What are you talking about? But I, I've learned. I didn't speak up at the time. So after we left, we're in the car. And I said, hey, what yard work were you referring to? And he says, well, I ran the weed eater on Saturday. You didn't even notice. And I said, okay. I said, where'd you run it? He said, down the driveway. But he said, but the line messed up, and so I couldn't finish. So when we got home, I actually looked. And he had run it on one side of the driveway for about 10 feet. Now, mind you, our driveway is quite a bit longer than that. Plus there's sidewalk, plus there's, you know, the patio. There's all these different places to weed eat. He had just gotten started on that driveway. And, and all of the rest of it was left undone. I checked the weed eater, and yeah, it had run out of line. It simply needed a replacement cartridge, which we had. They were in the garage. But he never got back to it, and weeks and months went by, and the weed eating still had not been done. But yet he held on to that idea that he helps with things around the home. He helps, you know, and, and he would be quick to tell people that and, and proud that he was able to help around the house. So why do they seem so genuine? Because they carry the desire to be these good traits. They, they desire to be them. But that desire just doesn't run very deep. They don't have any follow through, no ability to put in the time, the effort, the energy. You know, it takes time. It takes time to be a good dad. It takes time to be invested in your kids, and he couldn't do that. You know, he, he was more in love with the idea of being a good husband than in actually being a good husband. He, he would tell me all these wonderful things that he wanted, but what he actually meant was all of these wonderful things that I could bring into the relationship. You know, he, he had no ability to bring them himself. He wanted peace in the relationship, absolutely, but that was all on me. It was all on me to bring that peace into the relationship because he wasn't going to bring peace. He was bringing the drama. He was bringing the defensiveness. He was bringing the reactions to everything. And yet it was my job to bring the peace, which he definitely said he wanted, but it was all on me. If you are trapped in such a relationship like this, one of the problems is it makes you feel like you can't leave because you feel like you're responsible to help him out. You're responsible to help him learn because you think, okay, he truly wants this. All right. Well, then that means we can get there and I'll help him out to see what he needs to do. And so you stay for years, for decades, relationships and marriages with covert narcissists. I mean, it's, you hear these marriages are 20, 30, 40 years. And maybe you feel bad about leaving because you think, you know, well, he doesn't mean to hurt me. How can I leave? How can I justify leaving? When I truly believe he doesn't even mean to hurt me. Well, look, if he wants a peaceful marriage, but he isn't going to help it to be peaceful. Well, then you've got to decide. Is that your job for the rest of your marriage with him for the rest of your life? Potentially, it's your job to bring all the peace to the marriage. And if it isn't peaceful, it's your fault. You know, you made this to be a problem. You made him react with anger. You made him raise his voice because of something you did or didn't do. He's so attached to be that wonder, to the idea of being that wonderful person and a great husband, but nothing can ever possibly be his fault, ever. And so everything gets blame shifted onto you. This is one of the traits of narcissism, and we're going to explore it in more detail later.
But here, I just want to say, it's, it's a wonderful weapon of theirs. It's very effective. You see, blame shifting is very easy, especially when you don't invest any of you in, into the situation. Like, like if, if he doesn't invest any of his relationship, uh, of any of himself into the relationship with his boys, it was very easy for him to blame it all on me when I tried to help out. If I step in and I try to help that relationship with them, but things go bad and things always go bad because you're dealing with a, with a covert narcissist. So when things went bad, it was easy for him to blame it on me. It's my fault because I tried to step in and help. So then if I don't step in and help, well, it's my fault because I won't help. And so the blame shifting is incredibly easy with them. And you, you kind of are, you're suckered into it. And you say, you know, it's easy to go in my own mind. Well, he's right. I didn't help. I should have helped. And so you're willing to carry some of that blame. Or, you know, something did go wrong in one direction or the other. And maybe, yeah, you had something to do with that. You're willing to carry that blame. But they are off the hook because they didn't invest any of them into the situation. You know, if he doesn't ever invest any of himself, then nothing can ever be his fault. This is one of their outs, and it's, it's crazy-making. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. You know, we are going to be talking about this more in the future. So thanks for joining me today. Thanks for joining our journey. Hit that follow button. Let's continue spreading the word to our world. Covert narcissism, covert narcissistic abuse is not okay. You have been listening to the Covert Narcissism Podcast with your host, Renee Swanson. Be sure to check out our website at www.covertnarcissism.com. There you will find many resources just for you to help you on this journey. You can also reach out to me by email at Renee, R-E-N-E-E, at cnglifecoaching.com. Those letters are C-N-G as in Covert Narcissism Group. I do look forward to hearing from you. I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing.